What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and I am still out of the country today, so for one more show, I'm going to be flying solo. I will be back stateside next week, which means we can get Curtis back on the show, so take a deep breath, no need to worry. Uh, But today, I didn't want to leave you guys hanging, and I figured that one dude on the show was better than no show at all. So we're going to go with that, and today's show is going to be the second edition of our 2018 Summer Scouting the Enemy series where we take an early look, a very early look, at each Power 5 opponent on the schedule. We're gonna, I'm going to be going over numbers, personnel, schemes, all of them. I'm going to analyze all of that in an effort to scout out uh, our 2018 opponents here in the miserable summer months of waiting for, uh, for football season to roll around. And up today is our Week 4 opponent, the second Power 5 team on our schedule, the Missouri Tigers. So we'll get to that here in just a second. But I do want to make sure that everyone knows uh, to follow us on Twitter at Glory underscore UJ. Love to get your thoughts on Missouri. This is another one of those games that we're going to get into this today where um, there's some anxiety, I, I think, in, in, among some people in the dog nation about this game being early in the season, on the road, with Drew Locke back at quarterback. Uh, so we'll get into all that here. We'd love, I'd love to hear your thoughts on how you see this game playing out and whether it's something that we really should be concerned about. So again, that's at Glory underscore UGA. You can find us on a variety of podcasting platforms out there. Definitely check us out first and foremost at dogsportsradio.com, part of the larger V-Sport O Internet Radio Network. You can download the Dog Sports Radio app straight to your phone. Literally, you just go to the uh, app store or whatever service you have. Type in Dog Sports Radio, three words there, uh, and the app will pop up. Just download that, and you get our show. You get a bunch of other Georgia content as well, so definitely worth your time. And you can also uh, find us on uh, SoundCloud and iTunes if that works a little bit better for you, and the Stitcher and TuneIn apps as well. Uh, we appreciate everyone who has taken time to give us uh, some feedback and give us a rating and review on whatever platform it is that you find us on. And if you haven't done so, we would definitely appreciate it if you would take just a few seconds to help us out there and uh, give us that rating and review. But all right, with, with all that out of the way, let's go ahead and dig into the Missouri Tigers. Now, in studying Missouri, as I have done over the last couple of weeks, watched a couple of different games a couple of different times, uh, you kind of, at least for me, it's just me, but I get some kind of conflicting information when I, when I study this team. Now, I will admit, some of you probably remember this if you listen to the show for a year or so, uh, I was bullish on this Missouri team heading into the 2017 season, and that was really based almost solely on the potency of that offense. I knew that their defense would be average at best, and that was pushing it, calling them average. Uh, but I thought their offense would be able to carry them. And, and I was right to a degree. I had them pegged, uh, I was a little too bullish on them. I had them pegged at eight to nine wins going into 2017 season. I had them as one of my surprise teams in the country. Uh, and they totally made a game out of making me look foolish. Uh, by getting off to a horrid one in five stars. So early on, they were definitely making me look like a fool. I feel like an idiot, and I am kind of an idiot, so it just kind of works out there. But they did turn it around when their schedule lightened up towards the back end. They reeled off six straight to end the regular season, scoring at least 45 points in each of those games. Kind of like the Missouri team I thought that we were going to see all year long before ultimately getting befuddled by an entirely pedestrian Texas team in the Texas Bowl. I was really surprised there. I was kind of expecting Missouri to... Uh, to win that game, but they they just had trouble moving the ball against that Texas defense, and, and and when I so when I when I talk about conflicting information, I think the numbers illustrate it best. So like again, I, I just I, if you look at the numbers here, I really think this illustrates what I'm talking about with the conflicting information regarding how good this Missouri team actually is and can be in 2018. Now on the surface, if you look at the bare surface here, you see that this Missouri team was just awesome on offense last year. That's the only way to say it. They were awesome offensively. 
For the second year in a row, they were first in scoring offense in the ICC at 37 and a half points a game. Only two points out of us, though. We actually averaged 35 points a game last year. I'm not sure everyone knows that. Um, they were, again, first in, in total yards per game in the conference, that 502 yards per game. And that was more than 40 yards a game ahead of the second-place team. That's crazy. Uh, and also, though, like they're not one of those teams that, that, that goes – they do go with a lot of pace, but their 500 yards a game is not – necessarily just a product of the fact that they go really, really fast. Like, they run a lot of plays, so they're going to necessarily get a lot of yards. Uh, sometimes you see those teams get a lot of yards, but they're not super efficient playing and play out. But that's not the case in Missouri. They are efficient playing and play out, because not only were they first in yards per game, they were first in yards per play at 7.13 yards per play last year. That's crazy. They were effective and efficient. Uh, they were second in passing offense, just a, a little bit behind Ole Miss at 308 yards a game. But they were first in yards per pass at 93 three yards per pass. So what that tells us is they were hitting chunk plays. And we saw that front and center uh, last year when we played them. They kept they hit, hit a couple bomb passes down the field to Emmanuel Hall to keep that game much closer than it should have been in the first half before we eventually, of course, pulled away. Well, they're not quite as good around the football, but they're not, they're not bad at all. They're kind of middle of the pack. They were six in the rushing uh, six in rushing offense last year, That's largely because they don't run the ball all that much, uh, with 193 yards per game. Uh, but they were third in... In uh, yards per rush last year, 5.1 yards per pu- uh, yards per rush, which is really solid. Obviously, uh, top third there, so, or top fourth in the conference. Uh, they they were, did a really good job with third down conversion. They were fourth in the conference with 45 con- converting 45 percent of their third downs. And here's another crazy number. I'm gonna get into this a little bit later and kind of explain why this was. So they only allowed 13 sacks last year. That's crazy stuff right there. Uh, and that was obviously first in the conference. 13 sacks, man. That's it. Uh, now defensively, it was a different story. That's kind of what you see with Missouri. They are basically a, a it's a tale of two sides of the ball. The offense is stellar. Defensively, not as much. They were 12th in scoring defense out of 14 teams last year, giving up 32 points a game. So yeah, they scored 37.5 points a game, but they also gave up 32 points a game. They were 11th in total D, giving up 414 yards per game. Uh, 7th in yards per play surrendered, uh, giving up 5.6 yards per play. Uh, really what killed, like they were actually pretty solid against the run last year. We saw that, like early in, the, in that game, they, they kind of, they stifled our running game a little bit. Late in the first half, Sony and Nick only had a handful of yards combined. Uh, now we kind of, of course, with our depth and our, 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 the talent we have, we kind of leaned on them in the second half. But early in the game, they were, they were pretty stout against the run. And, so last year, uh, they were kind of middle of the pack in zone. They were eighth in rushing defense in the conference, giving up 159 yards a game, and seventh in uh, yards per rush allowed. They actually only allowed 3.9 yards per rush, so under four yards, which is very solid. Uh, but they were terrible, terrible against the pass. They were dead last in the SEC against the pass, giving up 254 yards per game and 7.5 yards per attempt they were dead last in both passing categories so they were horrific against the pass last year and Jake Fromm had his best game yardage wise really probably and then definitely his best game passing the ball against Missouri last year he threw for 300 I think 324 yards that had essentially 70 percent completion percentage so he just carved them up um, and that, that's what you saw all year long so that's the base stuff that you see there and those numbers clearly tell you that this offense is definitely something that you have to really account for and you have to take them seriously. Uh, because on the surface, as I just went through, they were a juggernaut last year, much like they were in 2016. Uh, defensively, though, we we know we all know they struggled. The numbers spell that out. 
Uh, but I will say, like, they were clearly not very good defensively, but it wasn't all bad. They, they did, as I just went over, they really struggled against the pass, but they were, they were okay against the run. They were kind of middle of the road, which is not spectacular, but they were okay. And they actually have some decent players I'm going to get to here in a minute. First and foremost being Terry Beckner Jr., who I think is a, is a stud for them. But obviously, definitely uh, an offense that's stellar, at least numbers-wise. Defense, not as much. So look at the basic numbers. What you see is kind of a decent team. Really good offense, bad defense. A team that is probably exactly what the record says they are. 7-5 and five last year in the regular season. But if you take a closer look and you peer beyond those surface numbers, you really start to see the somewhat paradoxical information that I mentioned earlier. One of the things I really like to do when judging how good a team is or was is look back at their total yardage differential, which is the difference between the total number of yards they gained offensively and the total number of yards they surrendered defensively. So look at that and also look at their total scoring differential, which is similar. It's the difference uh, between the total number of points they scored and the total number of points they surrendered. And if you look at those numbers, they suggest that Missouri is actually pretty dang good. In fact, based off of last year's differential numbers, they suggest Missouri was the second best team in the SEC East and could potentially be our biggest challenger in 2018 for the SEC East crown. And let me go over those here for you real quick. I ran these numbers um, the other day. So if you look at Missouri, their total yards differential. So you take the yards they gained and the yards they surrendered, and they were plus 1,145 yards last year. That's really solid. That's not, I mean, that's not spectacular, but that's really solid. Their scoring differential, they actually scored more points than their opponents. Did. They were plus 74 in uh, the scoring differential. To kind of put that into context for you, let me give you what we had last year. Our yardage differential last year was about 1,000 yards better than Missouri. We were plus 2,105 yards last year. Our scoring differential was significantly better. We were plus 285 points last year. We were blowing teams out, and we were outgaining them significantly. Missouri was solid, but not quite to to our elite level. They were plus 1,145 yards differential and plus 74 point differential. But now let's look at the other teams in the SEC, or the SEC East, and see where they kind of compare with Missouri. South Carolina, the team that we went over last week with the Scouting Enemy Series, and the team that everyone thinks is clearly the number one challenger to Georgia in the SEC East this year? Well, the yards differentials and scoring differentials would suggest otherwise. Because last year, South Carolina's total yards differential, they were minus 390. They actually gave up more yards than they gained last year. And that's not surprising because their offense, especially without Debo Samuel for most of the year, was not very good. They were in the bottom third of the con- bottom fourth of the conference. Really, they were, they were not good. Their scoring differential was actually it was okay, but not as good as Missouri. They were plus 46 in uh, total scoring differential last year. So they scored 46 more points than they gave up last year, whereas Missouri scored 74 more points than they gave up last year. So if you look at those numbers, which I actually put a lot of stock in, Missouri is a better team than South Carolina last year. And their record might not have said that, but by the numbers, they were a better team. Uh, look at Florida. Florida last year was minus 147 in total yardage differential, and they were minus 57 in total scoring differential. Tennessee, well, I mean, you guys can probably figure this out. They were terrible. Their total yardage differential, Tennessee, was minus 1,462 total yards last year, and they were minus 111 yard, or minus 111 points in the scoring differential. So they were clearly not good. They were not competitive. That's why they were 0-8 in conference. That's the kind of numbers you see in an 0-8 team. Uh, Kentucky, uh, again, not very good. They were minus 1,002 yards in their t- in their total yards differential. and the total scoring differential, they were minus 35. Vanderbilt, I'm sure you can imagine, similar story. They were minus 508 yards in their total yards differential and minus 81 y- points in their total scoring differential. So by those numbers, Missouri was the be- was the second best team in the SEC East last year and should be our prime contender for the SEC East crown 
this year. Now, those those are isolated numbers, and it takes you actually have to play the games on the field. But I do think that those numbers can give you some serious insight. And here's where the conflict really starts to emerge even more. When you peel back the layers just a step more, you find that the Missouri offense, while undoubtedly dangerous, I just went over the numbers. Their offense is insanely good statistically. But they truly struggle against top-level defenses. Their insane numbers really are a function of feasting on baby seals, the worst of the worst teams on their schedule. Now, you might say, well, dude, that's the case for any offense. And of course, any offense, you're right, will put up less gaudy numbers against the best competition. That's just going to happen. And that's just typically true, of course. But it's not just that there's a gap between what Missouri did offensively against the worst defenses on their schedule and what they did offensively against the best defenses on their schedule. It's that the gap is strikingly extensive. It's alarming how big this gap is. It's far greater than what is typical. And let me explain. Let me put this into context for you. So last year, Missouri, they played five teams that had top 50 defenses last year. Those teams were South Carolina, Purdue, Auburn, us, and Texas. Five teams. In those five games against top 50 defenses, the best defenses they faced last year, Missouri's potent offense only managed to average 15 points a game, 336 yards a game, and only 5.3 yards per play, significantly below their season average. And go back, remember their season average? They averaged 37.5 points a game, only 15 points a game against those defenses. They averaged 502 yards a game, only 336 yards uh, against those top 50 defenses. They averaged uh, over seven yards a play last year, only 5.2 yards per play against those defenses. So if you look at those numbers there, it, it's kind of striking. Now, against the three worst defenses on their schedule, and this is what I'm talking about, them beating up on baby seals, and that's where they get their numbers. Against the three worst defenses on their schedule last year, which would be Missouri State, Idaho, and UConn, who is not, who, God, Jesus Christ, it's hard to even call them a, Div- a Division One team these days over there in the America East. But against those three terrible defenses, Missouri averaged 64 points a game, 685 yards a game, in 8.3 yards per play. That, my friends, is a crazy split there. Of course, again, their offense should fare better against those teams because those defenses suck. But that much better? I mean, you're talking... I mean, what? So look at the points per game. So they're you're saying that they're, they're going to score... 50 points more per game against those teams, average 350 yards more a game and three three yards per play more, that split is crazy. And let's add a little more context to those numbers to drive the point home here just a little bit more. So I said Missouri's offensive splits against the best defense they face and the worst defense they face were decidedly greater than what you normally see. I just went through that. So let's take a look at our 2017 offensive splits to kind of put this into more context. We played a whopping nine games against top 50 defenses last year. In those games against top 50 defenses, we averaged 28 points a game, 380 yards a game, and six yards a play. Solid numbers. Now, in the three games against the three worst defenses we played, which were Samford, Tennessee, and Kentucky, we averaged 42 points a game, 442 yards a game, and 6.9 yards per play. That's 14 points more a game, 60 yards more a game, and one yard more per play against the three worst defenses. That's about normal. That's what you. Those are the splits that you see that are that are pretty typical. What's not normal is what you saw from Missouri's offense last year, which was, uh, what 50 points, 330 yards, three yard per play difference between what they did against top 50 defenses and what they did against the lesser defenses on their schedule. What that tells me 
is that when this Missouri offense faces top-level defensive talent, this offense cannot get the job done consistently. But to me, the even bigger question here is, why not? Why can't they get the job? Why do they str- the job done? Why do they struggle so much against these better defenses? Of course, teams are going to struggle more against better defenses, but why do they struggle so much against these better defenses? What is it about this offense that provides this massive drop-off against good defenses? Uh, in studying their scheme, this is kind of how I would explain it. This is my take on it, but this is how I would explain it. To me, it really comes down to the system they run. Missouri knows. They know who they are. They know that they are never going to be able to consistently recruit the type of athletes that will consistently allow them to compete at the highest levels. They're not going to compete athletically, player for player, with us uh, in Alabama, in Auburn. They're not going to get those kind of players. So what do teams in that situation typically do? Well, they resort to developing a system designed to mitigate their talent disadvantages. The, the obvious example of this is Georgia Tech. They know they're never going to be able to recruit. They don't have the, the resources to recruit with us in Alabama, in Auburn, and teams like that. So what did they resort to? They resorted to hiring old Fish Fry there to run the triple option, which is a system completely designed to mitigate that talent disadvantage. That's why that, that offense is even somewhat effective at times. So Missouri has done something very similar. Under Josh Heupel as offensive coordinator, which has been their offensive coordinator for the past couple years, they devised a system that was built primarily on RPOs and predetermined and often half-field reads. They know that they cannot expect to find five studs on the offensive line to compete at a high level on a consistent basis and run more conventional looks that way. So what they do is they speed it up. They run with a lot of pace. They give their quarterback typically only a half field to read and usually only one defender on that half of the field to read so he can make a quick decision, get the ball out of his hands, and essentially take the offensive line out of the equation. Like they really don't have to, offensively, they don't have to worry about pass blocking that much because the ball gets out of the quarterback's hands so quickly. Remember, I mentioned they only gave it 13 sacks last year, and that was tops in the conference, and that's a that's a crazy number. Well, the reason they only gave it 13 sacks last year, sacks last year, is because of how their offense is structured. They give the quarterback half field reads. He's typically reading one defender on that half of the field. He can make a quick decision, get the ball out of his hands, and therefore the offensive line does not have to really hold up in pass protection very long at all. So hence they only give up 13 sacks last year. And when I say half field reads, guys, I really mean that. I know that sounds weird, but I mean it. They give Drew Locke essentially half field reads majority of the time. Go back and watch any random Missouri game if you don't believe me. You will be hard pressed to find Drew Locke scanning the field like most quarterbacks do on any given down. You will generally see his eyes look in one direction at the snap, one side of the field, and one direction, one side of the field only. He's usually eyeing one defender and making a really quick decision based off what that one defender does. And half the time, not all the time, but about half the time, the wide receivers on the on the other half of the field that's not in play, they don't even really run routes. They might take two or three steps off the line and kind of just stop. And I'm not kidding about that. Seriously, go back and watch it if you can. Those receivers that don't really run routes on the backside of the play are, are in essence like sleepers that kind of just stand and watch and then hustle up to the line real fast so they can go at warp speed for the next play. That kind of helps them run with the pace they want to run with. It's really kind of ingenious if you think about it because when they, 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 when they do this, they kind of switch off which side is live. Like which set of, like the receivers stay on the same side of the field. They don't they don't switch. So one side might be live one play, and, and uh, the other side is going to breathe, and they kind of flip roles the next play, which allows them to kind of push the pace because you're really only worrying about getting one side of wide re- uh, of the wide receivers reset for the next play. The guys get a little bit of a breather so they can run those deep routes, take shots on the field that they like to do, and that gives them some rest where the defense is kind of run all over the field at all times. Another thing they do offensively is use what are called extreme plus wide receiver splits, where what they do is kind of like the wide receivers are as close to the sidelines as essentially they can possibly be. Now, this is an innovation. This is not something that Missouri came up with. This is an innovation that 
as far as I'm concerned, the first time I really saw it used was Art Bryles at Baylor. He was the first guy that I really saw using these extensively. I'm sure he probably got them from somewhere else, but he's the first guy I really saw bringing this in the mainstream. Uh, but Josh Heupel definitely borrowed literally from, from Bryles with these extreme plus splits. And what these splits do is they force the defense to spread out even further, which kind of has the dual purpose of, number one, revealing coverages, because it's really hard to disguise coverages by moving guys around, moving them to the line, back from the line, moving from one guy to the next guy, when they're spread so thin. Uh, And it also creates running lanes with everyone spread out so much. And as I said earlier, uh, the vast majority of their passing game or their passing plays are RPOs. Not all of them, but a lot of them. A lot of them are RPOs, where Locke has the choice to either hand it off or pull it and throw it. And their RPOs are varied. Sometimes they're reading a linebacker. Sometimes they're reading a safety. Sometimes it's a nickel. It kind of just depends. And that's one of the reasons it's hard to stop because they're not reading the same defender every single play. And while that can be difficult to defend, what that also means, we got to think about this. That can be. We know the RPOs are difficult to defend. Defenses are still trying to catch up to that. Uh, but even though it's difficult to defend, it also means that the defense only has one thing to take away and really one side of the field to take away, especially when you're operating with that one half of the field majority of the time. So now against the lesser teams they play, those lesser teams with the worst defenses like Connecticut and Missouri State, those teams really just aren't talented enough defensively to take away that one thing that Missouri does. So Missouri just kind of cars them up without mercy. Like, you know, to the tune, I think they had like 80 plus points against Missouri State in the first game, you know, like 830 something yards. But against the better defenses this Missouri offense faces, they have a tougher time because those defenses have the type of talent and coaching that is just simply more equipped to take away that one thing, that RPO, that one read. They can muddy up that read, they can get in Locke's face, they can beat a block against the run and make a play on the ball. And with the way their offense is constructed, here's the thing. With the way their offense is constructed with one read plays the majority of the time and half-field reads, when that one thing is taken away, Drew Locke or whoever the quarterback is literally has nowhere to go with the ball because they have one read. If that read is taken away, then what do they do? They got they have half the field. They're not even running routes over there. So when that happens, when, they, when the defense is talented enough to take that away and the coaches, coaching is good enough to, to scheme up a, a way to take that away, it often resor- they often resort uh, to either having to uh, force an ill-advised pass. You see Locke do this a lot. He'll force an ill-advised pass. You're like, dude, what are you doing? And risk a turnover that way, or he'll just throw the ball away. And that's a big reason why Drew Locke, as as talented as he is with that arm, he's got a cannon for an arm, and, a, and he throws a beautiful ball. It's kind of like a laser shot, but it's a beautiful ball, and he's got a cannon. There's no doubt about it. But his career completion percentage is 54.5% coming into his senior year. And a large part of that is because he has those sim- those half-field reads and reading one man. And you would think, well, it's, it's a, such a, a simple read, then he should be able to complete a lot of his passes, like Baker Mayfield. A lot of what Baker Mayfield does, uh, or, or he did at Oklahoma, were RPOs. It's one of the reasons his completion percentage was so high. But they weren't really running these dummy routes on one side of the field. Baker Mayfield had some things that he could do. He could also make things happen with his legs. Uh, and threaten defenses that way so that he faced a lot more simple coverages than what Locke can face at times. But with Locke, they only they only have half the field to go with. If that place, if, if the read is taken away, he has nothing. To, he has nowhere to go with the ball, so he forces it, throws it away, and the ball is incomplete. That's why his career completion percentage is fifty four freaking percent, which is terrible. That's like that's awful. That's that's essentially what uh, Matthew Staff. Remember his freshman year back in the day. That's what he was essentially back in his freshman year. But Locke puts up big numbers and he hits chunk plays down the field. But man, he does not complete a high percentage of his passes. 
Uh, and it's also another reason why I think Drew Locke came back for a senior year, despite breaking an SEC record for single-season touchdown passes last year with 44 touchdown passes. This is crazy. NFL teams know the type of system he runs. And they know in no way does that translate to what teams do in the NFL. I think that's a big reason why, despite the gaudy numbers, the, the yardage and the touchdowns, they looked at it and said, you know what, I don't know if this is going to translate for us in, in the NFL. So to me, that's why there's such a disparity between their offensive performances against those helpless defenses and their offensive performance against the best defenses. It's just simply a function of the system they run. The system can really help them against the worst defenses, but in some ways it's kind of a hindrance against the better defense. It doesn't mean they can't hit big plays against good defenses from time to time. It just means they don't do it consistently. But I will say there is also one gigantic variable to all of this in 2018. Josh Heibel, who's been their offensive coordinator for the past couple years, uh, is now the head coach at UCF, now that Scott Frost went to Nebraska. And enter Derek Dooley as the new Missouri offensive coordinator. Yes, that Derek Dooley, completely out of left field. And honestly, none of us really know what this Missouri offense will look like structurally with Dooley running the show. Uh, he, I mean, he's traditionally a pro-style guy who's implemented, like at Tennessee, they had some, some spread elements, but they were more pro-style than anything. And he's coming off a tenure with the Dallas Cowboys, obviously a pro team. So based on that... You would think he would try to implement some more pro-style concepts in their offense, but I would caution against that if I'm Missouri. Like, is that really the wise decision at this point? Yeah, this uh, this system, it, there, there are flaws to this system, but Drew Locke is now a senior, and he has never done any of that pro-style stuff ever in his entire career at Missouri. The pro-style scheme, the concepts, the language, they are all entirely foreign to him. And can you really expect Locke to be able to adapt to a new scheme in less than a year and run it as effectively as he did their previous scheme with Hypel? I'd put my money on no. To me, the smart move is to largely keep things the same. Do what Locke and the rest of the offense is comfortable with and what they were built to do. Because let's not forget, they don't have the personnel to run a true pro-style scheme either. Their offensive line is good for what they do. But they would get pushed around if they tried to line up and run power at people consistently. It's just not going to happen against the better defense in the SEC. But like we really don't know. We just at this point we I, I know what I think they should probably do if I was them. But we really don't know what to expect with Derek Dooley running the show offensively. So that unknown variable it kind of muddies the picture a little bit here with this Missouri team. Uh, now personnel wise. We talked about it a little bit, but we'll go into a little more detail here personnel-wise. It all starts with Drew Locke. We know that. I talked about him a little bit here already. He, he has a very talented arm, and he's very productive in that offense. He is. But he's still also very much a product and a reflection of that scheme as a whole. Like their scheme, he puts up huge numbers against also Rans. And while he does have his moments against better competition, he is nowhere near the same quarterback when the when the competition heats up. And let me give you some numbers to back this up. So Drew Locke, if you look against Missouri State, yeah, 60, 62% completion percentage last year, seven touchdowns, 521 yards. Uh, against Idaho, 70% completion, 467 yards, six touchdowns, one pick. Uh, let's see here against, uh, against Arkansas, who was terrible last year, 60% completion, 448 yards, five touchdowns, but against, uh, South Carolina, 14 of 32, 43% passing, 245 yards, one touchdown, two picks against Purdue, a top 50 defense last year. Yes. Purdue was top 50 last year defensively, 12 of 28, 43% passing 133 yards, no touchdowns, two picks, 
Uh, against Auburn, 23 of 39, 216, two touchdowns, one pick. You go back to 2016, same story. Against Florida, who won the SEC East in 2016, he was 4 of 18 for 39 yards, no touchdowns, and two picks. Uh, look at uh, against, let's see, pick a number, another tough team here. Uh, against Texas in the uh, Texas Bowl last year, 18 of 34, 52% completion, 269, one touchdown, one pick. So, He's just not the same quarterback against better competition. And again, yes, the numbers are going to be, they're not going to be as good against the better teams on your schedule. That's just, that's what's going to happen. But those splits are so dramatic. It's crazy. Uh, and but now they do return also, not just Locke, they do return just about everyone off the best statistical offense in the SEC last year outside of Jamon Moore, who like I guess he put up more yards and more catches than anyone last year. But I really think, especially towards the end of the year, Emmanuel Hall was the guy that came on and was really their better receive, their best receiver. Jamon Moore had a lot of drops throughout his career, man. He had a lot. He's kind of a head case, too. Emmanuel Hall had 817 yards last year and averaged 25 freaking yards per catch with eight touchdowns. I mean, those are huge numbers. He, he, he burned us for a couple touchdowns last year. Now, those were blown assignments, yes, but still, he burned us. He got behind our defenders, kind of outran some guys. They also have Jonathan Johnson returning the slots. A, a smaller guy was a perfect fit for them in the slot. And they have a guy uh, at tight end, I mean, and I'm going to butcher his name. I'm just going to own it. Albert Okawagabonum. We call, they call him Albert O because uh, it's tough to say that. Okawagabonum, however you say that. Uh, but he was a, a freshman last year and set a Missouri freshman record for touchdowns with 11 touchdowns from the tight end position last year. This will be one of the better tight ends, maybe the best tight end in the SEC this year. They do return every star on their offensive line, but outside of the run game, like, uh, their offensive line is kind of neutralized in a sense by the way they run their scheme. Uh, defensively, they're only losing four starters, although three of them are from the defensive line. But that one guy they do have coming back, on the defensive front is a beast. And that guy is Terry Beckner Jr. I mentioned him earlier in the show. It really all starts up front with Terry Beckner with this offense. He's a former five-star recruit in Missouri. does not get five stars very often. He's a hometown guy. They ended up getting him. His first couple years, he never kind of lived up to the building as he was plagued by injuries toward his ACL both of his first two years, freshman and sophomore years. Came back last year. By the end of the year, he was he was healthy, and he was tearing people up. He gave us fits last year blowing by guys throwing I mean there's one play I remember just it's vividly it kind of stands out in my mind he just threw Lamont Gallier to the ground I mean just absolutely threw him down like a like a, a freaking rag doll and then it kind of just stood over him I was like dude man you might deserve to do that after that he's really really good but he's the only guy they got coming back up front uh Rashad Brand's guy up front that played a lot for them last year didn't start but he did play a lot he's a pretty good player they do have a transfer coming in from Texas a guy named Jordan Elliott who was a former top 120 player uh, in the recruiting rankings. So now he obviously is leaving Texas for a reason. It didn't really pan out there. So we'll see how it works out. But he's he's definitely a guy that's got some talent, at least according to the uh, the recruiting rankings. They still don't have that dominant edge rusher that, that, that made their defense so good for so many years. They've been missing that for a couple of years now. Marcel Fraser kind of somewhat filled that role last year, but he wasn't the same as guys like Michael Sam. Uh, and Shane Ray. He wasn't that type of guy. Um, and he's gone this year anyway. Now, inside linebacker, they got a, a solid duo there. Got Kale Garrett, who's a solid downhill guy, but he's not the most athletic guy in the world. He, he does lack some athleticism to a degree. Now, Therese Hall, the other inside linebacker, is a guy that I really like. He is from Georgia. If you, you met, Some of you might remember him from uh, recruiting a couple years back. He's a really fast player. He's kind of somewhat undersized, but he's fast and he's violent. He, he definitely brings the wood. Uh, to the equation. Uh, and their, their secondary was an absolute train wreck last year. Like I said, they were last in the, in the SEC in, in yards, pass yards given up, and pass yards uh, or yards per pass. They're just a train wreck. But there is a chance they could make some slight improvements. Uh, although, again, Jake Fromm did have his best day as a passer against Missouri last year, 326 yards. 
I think it was two yards. I think it said 324 earlier. It was 326 and 70% completion percentage. Uh, a guy that Fromm really picked on last year is Demarcus Acey, who was a freshman. And he got picked on a lot, not just by us, but a lot of teams. Um, but he was a freshman last year, thrust into action clearly before he was ready. So you imagine he's going to be a little bit better with some experience under his belt. But they just don't have a ton of great playmakers back there. And I think if we want to, with the, who we have put back offensively, with Mecole being a guy who's in his second year as a receiver, Terry coming back as a senior, Riley really maybe poised to have a big year, Jake Fron coming back now as a sophomore, as as a starting quarterback. So I think that we have a chance, again, to make some, make some hay in the air against this Missouri team. And all in all, again, going back to the, to the top of the show, on the surface, the numbers would suggest that this Missouri team is a team that we better watch out for. And, and I agree with that to an extent. Now, I'm kind of a warrior wart, wart by nature. I, I'm always like just freaking out. Like, oh my, I, I very much have the Larry Munson syndrome in me. I do. I'm trying to get out of that with Kirby Smart here. I've just kind of got conditioned over the years. Uh, so I, I am worried about this game. Uh, it's, and the numbers kind of suggest you should be worried about it. But the more I look into it, the, the better I kind of feel about this game. They do have the town experience on offense. And we will still be... And we're going to still be working in a bunch of inexperienced players in secondary in week four. That's the thing that really concerns me. They have talent and experience on offense, regardless of how their scheme fares against better defenses. We're still going to be working in a bunch of inexperienced players in the secondary in week four. And this is the type of team that will exploit every little mistake and blown assignment you have in the secondary. They did it to us last year with a very experienced secondary. I don't think a secondary that was near as talented as what we're going to have this year, but definitely more experienced. And on one play in particular, J.R. Reed got caught with his eyes in the backfield. He didn't rotate in time. Uh, and the result was a wide-open 60-yard touchdown pass to Emmanuel Hall. Another On another play, everyone else in the secondary is playing cover three, but Tyreek McGee is playing press man for some reason in the boundary. He think, so he thinks he has help over the top from the safety. But he doesn't because we're in cover three. Uh, not, in, not in cover two under or man under. And again, the result was a huge touchdown. But, you know, if you look at this, a close look at the numbers, despite what you look at the service, a close look at the numbers, again, indicates that this offense just does not perform against elite talent, which I believe we have. I think that's fair to say at this point. Now, of course, as I said earlier, Derek Dooley, as the offensive coordinator, is the ultimate wild card here. We have no way to really know what changes he's going to make to this offense. It stands to reason that there won't be an, a complete overhaul or anything like that. But I imagine he's going to put his stamp on the offense in some way. Coaches have egos. They want to do their own thing to a degree. And we just don't know what that's going to look like at this point. You know, I, I might have an idea, but you just don't really know. I uh, watched the spring game, but I mean, come on. What, how much is the spring game going to tell us? They're not going to throw out their whole new scheme out there if they're going to overhaul things. It's not going to happen. But like, this team, I think they, and at, the, and the, at the end of the day, they could give us a scare. They could. With their ability to make, it, make an experienced defense pay. Or make an inexperienced defense pay, I should say. But the one factor you cannot forget, and this is what I keep telling myself, is that our offense is going to be potent as well. Yes, Missouri has a really good offense, but so do we. And while they may put up some points in yards against our inexperienced secondary, I'm not sure how their defense will ultimately hold us in check unless we help them with turnovers and poor play. They have some guys, and I didn't mention earlier, they have two good running backs. Larry Roundtree was a freshman last year. You got Demario Crockett, who was injured for about half the year, but he's a good back too. Like With those guys, the receivers they've got, and Drew Lott, they're going to put up some points. But is that defense going to be able to hold us in check with the offense that we're going to have let's not forget like we have some firepower too so if I'm looking at it now early here in the middle of June I, I still feel pretty solid about this game I'm not going to take this for granted whatsoever if we go in there trying to take this game for granted on the road it's probably gonna be a night game if you look at the SEC schedule that week the slate of games 
I don't think it's going to be a three thirty game. It's not going. CBS is not going to pick this game up. So chances are it's going to be a night game. Uh, I think the days of us playing at noon are largely over with the profile uh, with our, our our raised profile now after last year. So it's probably going to be a night game, which is tough to play anywhere. I've been to night games, a couple of night games in uh, in, in at Missouri. And uh, they've both been very tough. Uh, late, late games that went down the wire, and we had to win late. You saw what happened two years ago. Now, we're a very different team than what we were two years ago. We don't have a true freshman quarterback anymore. Kirby's kind of put his stamp on things. He's kind of built his culture. But, look, they they have the ability at home, at night, and we're as far away from home as we can possibly be in the SEC, to, to, to do some damage. And we cannot take them for granted. But still, saying that, we, sh- we are the better team. We have more talent. Like we really do against pretty much any team that we're going to play in the regular season this year, and we should win this game. But it doesn't mean that they don't have a chance to to make it interesting if we uh, if we blow some coverage in the secondary and we don't play like we are capable of playing. All right, guys, well, that does it for me here today on the Glory UJ podcast. I definitely appreciate you taking time out of your day to listen to me here. Go solo on the show. I know it's kind of weird to hear me just kind of like monologue to myself. I always, like, I always say this when I do a, a solo show. It's just like I can't get over how weird this feels like just talking to myself, like looking at a wall basically on a computer. It's weird, especially when you're out of the country. Uh, but uh, I hope you at least enjoyed the show somewhat. We'll be back uh, in town next week. Have Curtis back on the show and we'll, uh, we'll take care of you guys the rest of the summer as we lead into the 2018 season. So I'm Tyler. As always, thanks for listening and go dogs. <laughs>